Hi everyone and welcome to the Sweet Spot on a Farm podcast episode 58. So um, the lockdown continues and I've been yet again looking back through some of the past episodes in which all of the guests um, have inspired me in different ways from um, finding new habits to incorporating new foods or new ingredients into my daily diet or incorporating new exercises to my workout routines and daily stretches um, or simply giving me ideas for a day-to-day life. And um, as with the first compilation, there are some of your favorite bits, some of my favorite bits and some pieces from those episodes that you have listened to the most. I hope that you will find your inspiration too. And since it's Veganuary, um, I will start with episode number two. Today, um, it was a vegan episode in which the boys behind the Honest and later the Hungry Vegan, John Darby and Michael Dillon, talked about their own journey to plant-based food, their cafe, their beliefs, and also their attitude towards veganism. And... We also talked about the attitudes towards non-vegans, which I find quite fitting this month. I think that what you've got to do is you've got to challenge the stereotypes. And for us in this business, it's really important that we find a way to challenge them stereotypes without um, closing the door to anybody. And... If you ask a non-vegan, like my personal trainer, and he's a big meathead, and you ask him, what, whenever you think of a vegan, what do you think of? You know, and he'll come off with like a hippie and this sort of stuff. And they'll go from people being a hippie to people being crazy militant, they won't listen to people, um, it's this way or it's no way, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And everybody comes from their, everyone has their own pathway towards veganism, uh, towards plant-based. You know, I respect, I respect them all. And... I have a very different mentality and that's why Michael being involved in the business really helped because obviously Michael, you know, he's recently just moved away from eating meat. But for me, we, we don't only cater for vegans here. We're probably 50-50, you know, 50% meat eating, 50% plant-based vegan. And we have to have in here, and it's really important for me, that it's, it's a non-judgmental, open place for people to come and eat. It's not a vegan forum. It's not a vegan welcome centre. It's a place for people who decide one day they want to have a dairy-free meal. One day they want to have a meat-free meal. And where are they going to go? We hope that they're going to come to us. And if they decide when they come and eat the food and they really like it and they post their review, that makes us feel great. But what you generally find is people start having conversations with you. People start having conversations with the table behind them, you know, which I've never seen before in a cafe or a restaurant, that people, complete strangers, will start having conversations about why they're here, are you vegan, etc., etc. And it's brilliant. People will come up and they'll say, how did you make that tofu scramble? Or how did you make that chili? And we tell everybody, anybody asks, the whole recipe's there for people. And we give sort of the hints and tips about how to do things easier using nutritional yeast and things like that. Um, we have, like on a Monday, we Meat Free Monday, which is a big institution across like the UK. Everybody knows Meat Free Monday. And... For us, that's where a vegan can bring it. It's buy one meal, get the second meal half price on a Monday. And that's for, ideally, for a vegan to eventually convince the non-vegan, look, why don't you come in? You're going to get your meal for half price. Let's just try it today. So that they can try the food and understand that they don't need the meat. We're not going to convince a lot of them people to go meat-free for every day of their life. But the mentality that we have is A, the meal is going to be hopefully healthier for their body for that one day, but secondly if you take that one day, if you take all of these 50% of meat eaters who are eating a meat free, dairy free meal once a week that over the years, God willing that we're going to be in business that's going to make our own small contribution to the greater good um, some people out there feel that if you eat meat even on one day you know, it's horrendous and or six days and you just because you, you don't eat meat in one day, you shouldn't be celebrated for that, etc., etc., and that it's horrendous that they still continue to eat meat. And that's a personal value. But for me, my own personal view, and I believe your view on it too, is you'll only educate people through good food 
through challenging their preconceptions, through casual, informal conversation that they initiate, you don't. Um, if you if you judge somebody for who they are or their choices in an overly challenging way, they're not going to respond to you. They're not going to want to become part of your club. They're just going to say, well, I'm not talking to him again or I'm not going to go in and see him again. You know, shock therapy doesn't work. I'm a big believer in that. Uh, what does work is letting people know this is how easy it is. And there's a fantastic group, a vegan group, V-Kind, and like they go into Belfast and they'll bring down some of our trade aches and loads of other information and they'll just approach people in Belfast City Centre and say, would you like this? Would you like to try this trade egg? And people try it and then after that they'll say, do you know that that's actually dairy free? And the people go, no, how did you do that? And then they'll start a conversation with them about the fact that you can have great taste in food that is dairy free. But more importantly than that, you can have great soul food that's dairy free and meat free. You can have a fantastic chili, you can have a big dirty burger sometimes. You know, all the things that you feel like you're gonna miss, you can have. So yeah, uh, vegans come from many different pathways and everybody has their journey to how they got here. And everyone has their own beliefs about how they can make their own contributions and uh, where I'm not really in the wouldn't want to judge anybody for, for that. I think it's interesting that the more I talk about the things that are happening in my life, the people around me, I find out that, oh, this person's vegan or that person's vegan or they've been vegetarian for 20 years. And yeah. just when you start talking about that and stuff, you actually, you're actually able to connect with strangers in a way because it's, I think it's a lot more common than you think. But the journey so far, um, I know my wife wouldn't mind me saying this, you know, it's, you know, I think the most difficult part has been, you know, changing, trying to change habits in the house and stuff because, you know, if you are, are like a family and then one person decides to take an offshoot and it, in a way they sort of drag the other person with them because of the nature of like family cooking and stuff. So to me, that's been the most difficult part, even though she's really supportive and stuff, but I sort of keep want to keep pushing her to say you know like but in a very respectful way you know to say like come on now like don't be putting that milk in your tea and all but she's she's adamant you know but so there's this kind of underlying sort of stress not stress like but <laughs> i just wish she would make the same choices that i make but she doesn't and i respect her for that but i also can't stop harassing her <laughs> Yeah, you're like the, you're like a microcosm of what this whole business is, because it's like, you know, you've got your own choices, you've got your own values, but you live with somebody with different choices and different values, and you can either learn to live with each other and respect each other's choices for that, you know, and eventually over a period of time say, well, why don't you try this vegetable chili, and why don't you try this vegetable curry, and things like that, and they go, oh, that's quite nice. That's like what our entire business is built on. You know, it's like, you know, yeah. you look after look after yeah. your own dietary needs and things like that, but you yeah. don't judge other people for theirs. Like yesterday, you know. for example, um, I had some nice organic organic hummus, and uh, I couldn't get her to taste it. <laughs> She's never had it before, and she wouldn't taste it. She says it looked like mayonnaise. <laughs> so the the level of irrationality that I have to deal with is huge. And what can we take from it? Perhaps uh, being more inspiring rather than preachy, educate by example, not by force, and be accepting of other people's choices instead of passing judgment. And in episode 47, we did pick up on that topic again with Claire Feldman, who explained why our passions can turn into often unhelpful preaching and food or diet shaming, which is often detrimental to others. And something I am still on occasion and completely unintentionally guilty of myself. Um, and a lot of this happens on social media and a lot of this on social media unfortunately happens with intention and I guess this makes me think that while these platforms can certainly be helpful in some ways a lot of the time they can make for quite toxic environment that we might want to stay away from. So I think people um, become keyboard warriors 
at times on social media where they feel that it's their place to make judgments, pass comments on people that they don't even know um, because they're doing it behind the safety of a device. Um, so I think that that is a huge issue. Um, with regards to clients, yeah, I think um, I've had lots of clients that have experienced, you know, they're trying to turn their back on dieting, they're trying to eat foods that they enjoy and people around them who have been ingrained in dieting mentality will say really unhelpful things like, do you know how many calories are in that? And it's just like the worst thing that you could possibly say to someone who has a real history of disordered eating is to make comments like that. Um, and the person is saying it thinking that they're being helpful and not realising just how unhelpful that is and actually that they probably quite probably have their own issues with calorie obsession. Um, so yeah, I think we all, um, we can get too passionate about our own beliefs around food and we can get too passionate about our own thoughts about what the best way to eat is and what the healthiest way to eat is or what the best diet is for weight loss um, or for the environment that we get too passionate with our own beliefs and then when we try to impose them on other people what it actually does is causes other people distress and guilt and uh, you know and it's just it's not helpful and I think that um, people people I think just need to mind their own business <laughs> when it comes to eating it's none of our business how other people eat or how other people choose to live and if that means that you're vegetarian or you're vegan that's absolutely fine if that means that you follow a keto lifestyle that's absolutely fine you know you do whatever you want but I think just don't try and impose those judgments onto other people I will not be a hypocrite and admit that I have in the past done my fair share of that before mm -hmm. realizing that actually my passion may be detrimental to yeah. somebody else um, and and often actually people I think do um, do this with good intention it's yeah, just a really absolutely. wrong way going about it yeah if you're really passionate about something because and I think this is what happens an awful lot that say for example you have turned your life around that you've lost a lot of weight or you've gotten you know really healthy or you've gotten rid of a health condition by changing your diet you're going to be so passionate about it that you're going to want to share that with people that absolutely and you know is, is how everybody should yeah. be doing it and that's the problem that's <laughs> yeah. the problem the message then that goes out is you should all be doing this but actually for the person person receiving it maybe they should not you know, be be doing that. It's great that it's been fantastic for you, but it doesn't mean that it's right for for that that person. Um, but you know, I can understand when you're passionate about something and when it's been really helpful for for you personally that you want to share it with other people. But it just may, and the other person just may not be in that place. And if somebody's not in that place, you're never going to be able to drag them <laughs> there. So it's just about that appreciation that everybody's journey is different. And if they're not at your point, then that's fine. There'll be plenty of people who, who are on your wavelength. There'll be plenty of people who are part of that community and who are interested. But if, if somebody's not there with you and they're not at that that part in their journey, you're not going to be able to, to bring them what you're more likely to do, I think, is just distance them and, and push them further away. Another episode in which we shared a lot of laughs was episode 44, when I talked to bricklayer-turned-baker Carl Stevens. Um, he shared his journey to his healthy, real bread business and explained everything about the organic vegan sourdough he makes for his family and his customers. You know, it started early anyway, but it was one of these people who was basically waking up, going to the toilet, getting a cup of tea and running out the door. Um, so I was relying on pretty bad food, you know, like fries and stuff. I wasn't eating a very good diet at the time, to be fair. Um, and I smoked also, which wasn't great for my guts as well. Um, I've since knocked all that in the head, obviously. But, uh, yeah, um, that's where my problem started, in my mind. It was, you know, I was eating a lot of soda bread and fried foods and you know, sausage rolls, just stuff that, you know, I wasn't thinking about what I was eating. It was just like, right, it's lunchtime, need something that means, you know, I was working hard all day, need something that's going to fill me up until I get home, bang, you know, in the wee garage or whatever. And, um, yeah, that's where I started remembering feeling, you know, the sort of acid 
coming up because I'd never had any experience of it and I knew plenty of people who were amazed, uh, friends and what, what have you, who were amazed that I hadn't, ha hadn't any gut, gut issues because they'd been having gut issues for years. So yeah, it started there um, and very, very quickly escalated. Um, and because I didn't have the education or the knowledge, um, I didn't know where it was coming from. So, like everybody, went to the doctors and explained, um, and basically, he was going to put me on a lifetime supply of some sort of awful tablet. I can't remember what name it was, but I came home and googled it, um, and the side effects, and you know, it was like all these pharmaceutical drugs, it was atrocious. And I do believe in herbal medicine, and I don't do pharmaceuticals, so. As you can imagine, I was very, very reluctant to go to go down that road. Um, so I started looking more into my dad and how I could heal myself naturally. Um, so the first thing was, you know, natural um, herbal supplements, stuff like that. Apple cider vinegar, started working a treat, um, activated charcoal, you know, all these things were helping the um, symptoms, but nothing was sorting out the cause. Um, so it was... Yes, every time I flared up, we shot apple cider vinegar, bang, you know, it was grand, maybe for an hour or two, but it flared up again, so it was like, right, okay, I need to start looking at my dad, um, and slowly but surely, started whittling down, you know, right, I flared up then, I flared up then, you know, process of elimination, and started reading a bit more, um, and bread kept coming up, but didn't want to believe it, like most people, you know, sometimes you don't want to see the wood, you know, the trees for the woods, um, so... Yeah, sort of kept disregarding it, and then photo kale started making my own bread. So I started making my own bread exactly in the process that I was talking before with the with the yeast, not the sourdough method. Um, I was getting better results, but still getting flare-ups. Um, and then slowly but surely started thinking, okay, and started making sourdough. And then read into a lot of it, and people, other people were getting results, and within a month. My guts. Uh, I was also taking the herbal supplements. Was else still taking me apple cider vinegar? Um, I take um turmeric, um or turmeric, whatever you want to call it, and um, ginger. You know all the types of things that are going to ease the gut anyway. Um and yeah, within a month, I basically eradicated the problem. And since I don't have any issues, the only time I have issues now are like if I go on holiday, and it's very very hard to get. You know, I try to stay away from bread, but you know sometimes if you're in a nice restaurant and there's like. Um, like really nice anchovies and olive oil, and there's a bit of you know toasted bread sitting there. It's really really hard to resist, you know. So <laughs> willpower, yeah, yeah. yeah willpower. So, so sometimes you go, you know, uh, sometimes you go, ah, it's worth a wee bit of pain. So you have it, yeah, yeah. But very 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 rarely. So yeah, and the other one would be, you know, if I'm, if I'm out and like I've stopped doing this, you know, if you're out somewhere and they do like a really good burger, and everybody's like, oh, you want to taste the burgers here? I can't eat the pops at all. I'm like, right, okay, I'll have one, and then you die for three days. So. Yeah, I've stopped doing that as well. Um, but yeah, basically that's where it started. It was in my mind it was the, the bad debt that I had before and just finding out myself and working out my own um gut. Um yeah, and I've completely changed my whole dad since. Scratch cook um every night, um, make all my own stocks, everything, you know. Um even my stocks use organic flour, you know, it's for my ruse of making a thicker gravy and stuff. So um yeah, no, definitely my my love for sourdough is definitely came from exactly what you're saying, my own gut and health issues. Talking about healthy eating in episode 40, I had the pleasure to visit a healthcare practice of a vascular surgeon turned functional medicine practitioner, Dr. Modestas Gerutis. And we talked about many things, including healthy eating habits and how they play important role as a part of the holistic approach to healing. In modern medicine, there is no focus on healing patient. So there is no focus on how to change behavior of patient that he can get or she can get back to complete normal, you know, in long run, instead of taking one or two or three or five tablets every day, and trying to compensate whatever is not functioning. And sometimes it's possible and sometimes it works for some time, but usually after four, five, six, ten years of taking tablets and seeing no big change, patients start thinking, actually this is not working. 
you know, I need to do something that I can get back to normal health and that I don't need to take these five tablets every day. And body is not stupid. Body will help you in every way if you will give a chance. If you will stop eating crap foods, if you will skip the breakfast, if you will, you know, drink plenty of water and, of course, eat more plant-based foods, which uh, natural plant-based foods are, I think, key nutrients and key energy uh, providers, not the the sugars and not the kind of carbs that uh, for some reason became so popular and in every shop, every doors you open, the first thing that will be put on a shelf would be carbs and sweet drinks and uh, that give you energy for maybe one hour. But then, you know, you exhaust that sugar (laughs) effect and you crash even more and you can't get out of that because sugar is more addictive than cocaine. So patients who try the sweet things and they want it more and they want it again. And uh, so I think the biggest issue of modern society is addiction to sugar. One of the things Dr. Cherutis talked about was um, the use of kinesiology in his practice. Um, Kinesiology is a practice I never quite believed in until I experienced it a few times myself and until the science behind it was explained to me. Um, And one of the kinesiology practitioners whose name was constantly popping up in my circles and who was recommended to me by many was Lucy Scott, a former oncology nurse turned herbalist. Um, And Lucy and I talked about herbs and breathwork and holistic medicine. But the bit I personally found particularly interesting was our exploration of kinesiology, where I got to experience Lucy's expertise and learn the mechanics of how and why this works. So in kinesiology, I would check the meridians in the body. So the meridians correspond to the different organs and systems. And that will let me know where the main weaknesses are. And then I can check to see, is it a vitamin, a mineral, a herb um, that needs to be used to support the proper function of that organ or that system? And I can do that within 45 minutes. Um, And it means that people get immediate benefits. Um, Do myself out of a job, mind you. (laughs) (laughs) So I have people coming back, maybe for one or two reviews, but most people, it's usually a year or two later, once they maybe feel the heartburn coming back or the constipation coming back or um, with people who have chronic illnesses working with the immune system and the nervous system is an ongoing thing but once they have the information then they can work with that information themselves I'm testing the resistance I'm not testing your strength so when I ask you to put your arm in a particular position and I apply a little bit of pressure to it in a particular direction I'm connecting with a particular meridian, energy meridian Um, the one I'm thinking of is the meridian for the stomach so if your stomach is working well, I won't be able to move your arm but if the arm moves slightly um, wobbles a bit or comes down with my pressure it means then that I need to find out what it is that is needed for the stomach to be strengthened to work properly again. So if somebody has inflammation in the stomach, I would be picking up um, the little bottle of um, Devil's Claw, which is a lovely anti-inflammatory, or Cilicia Gel, which is very soothing for inflammation in the stomach, to see is that what's needed to calm the inflammation in the stomach. In other cases, it may be that somebody doesn't have enough 
the um, hydrochloric acid, which is the main uh, fluid in the stomach for breaking down protein, but also for killing viruses and bacteria that come in with the food. If they don't have enough stomach acid, that will be part of the weakness of the stomach. So I would be using a supplement uh, capsules of hydrochloric acid and pepsin to see is this what's needed for strengthening the stomach. So you can be very, very specific about, depending on which organ it is that I'm checking, what do I want to check is needed to strengthen that organ back up again to full function. In the digestive tract, there's so many different parts to it. Each part has its own specific activities. So I'd be finding out where the weakness is. So maybe there's an overload of um, yeast in the bowel. So that means a herb to clear the yeast out to allow the good bacteria to flourish again. Um, So you would have two supplements there. You would have your probiotics to restore the good bacteria and you would have your herb to remove the yeast. And that should get the bowel function working again properly and take away a lot of the discomfort and bloating and constipation that people suffer in those particular circumstances. So because you can quickly test the arm or the leg in a particular position, you can very quickly go through a whole series of organs and systems very quickly. And that is painless. And the the client, as you you felt it yourself, you could feel when your arm was strong or your leg was strong. You can feel the weakness definitely. Whenever the weakness comes, there's nothing yeah. you can you can do about it. You yeah. can definitely feel it, which is really like bizarre that how the body works and how it just lets you know this is where the problem is. Mm-hmm. And it all comes down to energy flow within the body, and. That's one of the reasons why exercise is so important. Keep the energy flowing. And when it comes to energy and exercise, one of the most popular episodes we recorded was episode 21 with Pilates trainer and instructor Neil Haley, whose expertise has helped me more than once over the years. I mean, I train um, Belfast Running Club, so I'm getting a lot of athletes and sports people who are using it to avoid injury and they're also using it to enhance their performance, which is, is what actually Joseph Pilates found when he, he had a studio in New York. And he, he wanted the studio to be near to Madison Square Garden because he wanted boxers. He wanted to train boxers because that's what he was into. But he was actually quite near to uh, Broadway. So what, he, what actually happened was the people who, who ran the shows and trained the dancers in Broadway realised that this guy's good and this, this guy can keep our dancers on stage. So they sent their dancers to be trained by him to rehabilitate when they had an injury, to get them back on stage quickly or better still, to avoid them being injured in the first place. Which is a lot of, I think, where the sort of Pilates is a women's thing comes from because obviously a lot of the dancers were female. So it ended up that he ended up training a lot of dancers rather than the boxers. He, I think he really did want to train. But if you're in there and you've got to focus on working all of the muscles, every exercise is meant to be like, is meant to work as many muscles as possible. It's meant to be total body. So if you're there lying on the floor and you're lifting one leg, but while you're doing that, you're trying to think about using the other leg to help you stabilize, use your arm, your shoulder, use the, the big muscles that you feel just under your armpit which are your latissimus dorsi muscles, while still pulling your core in, while still breathing up into your ribs and breathing out the side, you have a lot going on. But for the outside of looking in, I admit, it doesn't look like a whole lot. Exercise and healthy eating are great, but there is something a lot more important than that to keep our health in check. Um, and in episode seven, my friend Roshin explores the topic of stress and trauma and explains how natural therapies can restore our ability to relax and deal with some of the negative and traumatic experiences in life. Eating all the most amazing food and doing all the exercise, those stress hormones, hormones can actually overrule that. So it's vitally important that we introduce 
more relaxation and time out into our lives along with that and exercise you know it's the synergy it's never just one thing never just one thing it's always the balance between them all mind body emotions spirit if you like as well it's amazing when people come to me and uh, they are so hyped up and they don't sleep so it is wonderful when you actually help support them into that zone of relaxation and they come out and they're like blown away that they were able to shut off and again that's a tool for life you want that to be carrying on into your day-to-day -day life if you think of the body as a record of your life you know it's like an extraordinary complex recording system the body registers every significant event in your life and you're storing that up in your tissues and systems of your body there is considerable evidence now we've all known it we've all known it for millennia really but we do have the the scientific evidence now as well that the these experiences of life are stored in the body and until they are released and cleared a person is not able to function at their physical and psychological potential you know so that's where we body workers come in talk therapy is invaluable life coaching homeopathy they're all really good tools you know but the body work is equally as important to help release that out of the body being able to relax and deal with our traumas is a part of growing and learning. The very topic Kaya Koma talks about in episode 35 when we explore the idea of self-development. Whenever I'm talking about things like that, it's really about growing and building self-awareness, building self-knowledge rather than using the terms personal development or self-development because I think those terms are like really dry and really nearly um, clinical in yeah, a sense. it's very corporate. It's very it. corporate yeah. and it's very like, I see myself freaking suited up, <laughs> right? <laughs> on the stage and like being a personal development person. I don't think it's about personal development. I don't think it's about fancy theories and like, you know, beautiful presentations. It's really about, you know, what do you want to achieve as a person? And, you know, not to make this podcast really grim, but like everyone's going to die. You don't know when you're going to die. Who do you want to become? And it's funny because a lot of the times and in some of my previous jobs as well, when I was working with people and you're asking a person to either describe what they're good at or you're asking a person like, where do they see themselves, you know, in the future or or even like in a more abstract way, you know, asking people, what would you like your life to look like, ideally? And you see people just being stuck and like not being able to answer anything about what they would like their life to be, what what kind of person would they like to become? Because I find some people have this like limiting perception in their mind where who I am now is all I can be. You know, like, you know what I mean? Like it's it's like, this is who I am. This is what I know. That's all there is to me. Ignoring the fact that there's so much growth potential and so much opportunity to change and again, develop, right? All of those words. But it is, I think, the key. If we were to really draw out like the key terms, I would probably say growth and learning and awareness. And I don't think majority of us are actually interested in growing and learning and awareness. In episode 36, I visited a farm my favorite environment for a podcast recording, um, to talk to Kate, one half of the founding couple of Kama Hemp. And uh, we ended up talking about a lot more than the health and environmental benefits of hemp. And Kate shared some of her experiences of a long-time permaculture lifestyle and insight into the biodiversity of their own farm. Um, and they have this very, very interesting um, biodiversity within these five lakes really worth studying and worth preserving so we strictly speaking shouldn't have got planning permission here but we did London County Council in their naivety whatever gave us permission and um, the e they got in trouble with the EPA and at one page, point we were about 10 years here uh, 
Actually, maybe not as many as ten. We were a few years here anyway, and uh, they, Monaghan County Council arrived, drove in. They didn't give us any warning. Um, they drove into the yard, and there was a scientist from the EPA with them, from Europe, from Germany. And um, we were, I was working in the polytunnel with the children. There was a number of little children running around. And we had just found this moth, an elephant hawk moth. Fantastic specimen, really beautiful. There, do you know it? No. Oh, it's pink and green and white, and it is mind blowing. And when it's at the full of its plumage, you know, when it's at its peak, uh, they are the colours are vibrant and it's beautiful creature, and it's big. It's a big moth, and we just found one. I'd never seen one before. And Roshi, my daughter, ran out into the yard when this car drove in, and my kids did not run run to people they stood back always and you know paid attention to see how does my parents react to this person is this person okay they were always reserved right rants head for this car the people hadn't even gotten out of the car look what i found look what i found look what i found so so excited by the find and the the woman from the from europe just kind of you could see her whole face just lit up she had studied these moths. She had never seen a live one. She knew exactly what it was. And she was blown away. Completely blown away. In that moment, she did not need to get out of the car to see what our impact was on, on the, um, the biodiversity, actually. that we, she, she knew immediately that we were having a good impact. We didn't have flush toilets. We were composting everything. All the waste was processed on this site nothing left here so she could see that really really quickly actually that we had created edge we had created far more than we had already added in that short period of time whatever it was less than 10 years we had added to the biodiversity not taken from it so she was just like yeah no you know what okay you shouldn't have given these people planning permission but we're not going to move them away we're not taking their house down. They're fine. They're grand. Let them, let them live here. They're, they're fine. They're, they are actually looking after the environment. That was somebody above pulling strings there because they were coming here to move us off the land. Um, I'd like to finish this compilation with a snippet from one of the most played out episodes in which a truly inspirational therapist, speaker and a flotation specialist, Vivian McKinnon, talks about flotation as an antidote to the modern life. I think that now more than ever, most of us realize that the way we live is simply not sustainable, um, not just in terms of the environment, but mainly in terms of our own experiences, our own evolution, our own well-being. We live in a modern world that we have not been adapted for and we do pay the price on a daily basis. And right now, in times of a worldwide lockdown, a lot of us have the time to reflect and realize what is truly important. And perhaps this is the time we can take to switch off for a little while and re-evaluate the way we live. There's a lot of research going on within the flotation world just now, mostly over in America because this is huge in America. And at the Laureate Institute of Brain Research, what they've found recently is that during the float, they've been using fMRIs and EEGs, and they've found that during the float, the, the activity within the amygdala, which is a part of the brain, it's part of the limbic system, and it's where your fight or flight lives. And during the float, it's starting to decrease activity within that part of the brain and increase activities in your problem-solving and creative response part of the brain. I think, you know, that's the antidote for modern life. We're not supposed to live the way we live. Our bodies evolved hundreds of thousands of years ago and our lifestyle has you know, we had the first revolution in the 17, 1750, you know, we had steam and it really, you know, it simplified our lives. We brought in spinning jennies and steam locomotives and all these things. We could transport products, goods, people, and we could do all these things and, you know, and, and life was starting to be great. And then, you know, and then electricity was developed. That was the next revolution. And electricity again brought us all these other opportunities and all these other things and, you know, like washing machines and, you know, like right up to sort of TVs and all this 
sort of stuff. And then we had the third revolution, which was the internet and information technology. So again, that made our lives, you know, we had phones, we had like TVs, we had all these different programmes, we had all these different channels, we opened up these cables and all this different stuff. We're now in the fourth revolution, the fourth industrial revolution, and have been for about maybe eight years or so, where human computation and artificial intelligence have been blended together. We're not supposed to be blended with technology. Do you know, our evolution, we haven't been, you know, taken in every hundred years and plugged in and had our software updated. You know, like another thing, in flotation, you, normally when you go into a body of water, your fingers open because we go through a process called osmosis. And that is to help us to catch fish or to climb our way out of water. But it's been a long time since we've had to catch fish with our bare hands or climb ourselves out of water. But we still have these processes. So our evolution is still very much back there. What our vehicle that we move about in our bodies and our minds is so out of date for the times we are living in. And, you know, there's a huge rise in people, you know, presenting with anxiety, with stress, especially workplace stress. It's huge. One in five people are off with stress in Northern Ireland. 90% of them don't feel able to tell their employer that that's the reason they're off. You know, £4 billion is lost every year in Northern Ireland to to mental health. 40% of the people who live here live with the symptoms of trauma. As much as modern medicine, absolutely fantastic. The NHS system, there's nothing like it in the world. But if you're only ever going to medicate symptoms, you're never going to get to a root cause of anything. And we seem to have a nation where, at times now, the doctors are so pushed and so they have 10 minutes and they have such a tough schedule and they have all these things. At the end of the day, they work for these huge companies, you know, and they're interested in customers, you know, like that's good because that's what keeps them in business is people using their product. And sometimes it's just not the answer. Do you know, it's about connecting back with yourself. It's about removing yourself from that environment, from... I mean, I'm a mum, I have, I have three kids. They're, they're 28, almost 21, and five years old. And there's always somebody that's like, Mum, can you do... Like, Where's Mum? Even when I go for a bath, you know, I have to leave the door open in case the wee one wants to come in and see me about something because he'll just stand knocking at the door and knocking at the door <laughs> until he gets in. So even things like that, you know, even... But even your phone, you know, we carry our phones with us. All the time, you know, we're constantly impacted by Wi-Fi, Bluetooth, electricity, all these things. Flotation just offers a sanctuary away from that. Just an hour where you can just go and just, you know, gather yourself back into yourself. Because we're human beings, but all we ever do is do. But But we're not human doings, but we have became human doings by forgetting that we are actually human beings. I hope that you enjoyed this little trip through some of the previous episodes and um, to keep with our tradition of sharing recipes I have a new one for you. One I have come up with recently when looking to recreate some of the more traditional Czech foods in a healthier way. Um, I'm not sure how much you are familiar with the Czech cuisine. It's... um, It's pretty good, but um, it's not particularly healthy. (laughs) Um, Not the way uh, we've been making it um, for the past 20, 30 years. Um, However, (laughs) I have decided that I'm going to come up with ways to make my favorite foods from childhood um, in a healthy way that I can enjoy and I've started with one of the foods I remember the most from childhood and that's dumplings. Now if you ever had chick dumplings um, there are countless varieties of those um, in Czech cuisine and we used to have them all the time. I mean every week and mostly more than once a week and um Sometimes we would have them on their own. Sometimes we would have the more common savory version. Sometimes we would have the sweet version. Um, sometimes um, we would have it as a vegetarian dish and sometimes as a side to a chunk of meat. And um, yes, I've, I haven't been able to eat them. Uh, not the traditional ones because they do contain gluten and uh, and potatoes. Um, well, the potato ones contain potatoes, which I don't really eat. And um, the gluten, well, gluten and I are not particularly great pals, so um, that really hasn't been an option. Uh, 
Um, they, the way I make them, they're obviously gluten-free and very open to any kind of stuffing you like. It really is um, quite open to experimentation and um, you can put anything in it, um, wh whatever you like. It really depends on your taste buds. Uh, now, the way I make the dumplings, it's more... Uh, it's more for the savory variety. I am working on the sweet variety, but that's probably something for summertime. Um, so what you need for the dumplings is um, about 400 grams of sweet potato and either celeriac or parsnips. I prefer celeriac, but I know some people don't like celeriac, so you can use parsnips. Now, you don't have to necessarily use um, you don't have to necessarily use half and half, as in two hundred grams of sweet potatoes and two hundred grams of celeriac. You can use two hundred and fifty grams of sweet potato and one hundred and fifty grams of celeriac, um, as long as you mix it. Um, because if you use just sweet potatoes, um, the texture is not quite right, um, and also it's really. It kind of can't decide whether it's sweet or savory, so you do need that a bit more savory kick to it, which celeriac or parsnips will give you. Oh, and you need to cook. Uh, you need to cook them the day before, so you um, I steam it. So steam your vegetables the day before and keep it in the fridge. Um, then you'll need eighty grams of milled buckwheat or buckwheat flour. Um, 30 grams of milled oat or quinoa flakes or you can buy oat or quinoa flour but I do find that having the flakes and then processing yourself uh, works out a lot cheaper especially if you're buying organic and then you'll need some extra flour for later um, you'll need one teaspoon of psyllium husks to be soaked in a little bit of spring or filtered water and that's going to be your egg replacement and a pinch of sea salt. And what you do is you soak the psyllium for, uh, for about 30 minutes at least and um, try to put just enough water in it to soak the amount of psyllium you're putting in. Don't put like a one teaspoon of psyllium in a bowl full of water because it will become too watery and then you'll have to put a hell of a lot more flour in. Um, so just a little bit of water goes a long way. Then you grate the sweet potatoes and celeriac on a coarse grater and put it in a bowl. And then you mix the dry ingredients in a separate bowl and then add the grated veg into it and work it together until it's really well combined. Then you add the psyllium jelly in, work it into slightly sticky uh, but a really flexible dough. You work the dough into a thick log and cut it into about eight roughly same size pieces and roll out each piece into a little ball. Then you sprinkle some flour on a clean worktop and flatten each ball and roll each ball out into a square a little bit bigger than a palm of your hand. And then place a couple of teaspoons of filling of your choice onto each square. And then you carefully roll them up back into a ball so the filling stays in the middle. So the way I did it is I would sort of connect all four corners together over the filling and make like a little parcel and then I would work it back into a ball. But whatever method will work for you, just make sure that you always have extra flour handy. You don't want it to become too sticky because when the balls become too sticky, when you're shaping them, they will start tearing and your filling will spill out onto the work surface it happened a few times when I was making it and it's a bit frustrating. So just make sure you have always extra flour handy. Now for the filling. I personally used some brown leek leaves with mustard seeds and herbs and I topped it with a teaspoon of my Christmas kraut. Now my ultimate fav favorite filling for sort of anything is um, spinach filling with pine nuts and kraut or kimchi. And once your um, dumplings are filled and ready, 
find a pot that's big enough for all eight to fit in together or you can cook them in batches. Um, just bear in mind that the dumplings will float on the surface. And uh, you boil up some water. You put about half a teaspoon to teaspoon of salt in the water. And as it's boiling, you start carefully placing the dumplings in. Now the dumplings will float. You need to boil them for about 15 minutes. But because they will float and they will not turn themselves over, you need to, after about 7-8 minutes, you need to sort of try and flip them upside down so the other half of the dumpling is under the water. And once they're cooked, um, you place them in a colander so the water can drip off and serve them with whatever you fancy. I personally like them with a bit of side salad and just on their own. You can use them as a side to whatever you like. I love them on their own with um, a very generous drizzle of olive oil and some fresh herbs or a bit of sea salt. Um, you can use any other good quality fat. I mean, a lot of oil. I just like using a lot of oil. They're, they're just gorgeous when they're greased with some good quality fat. So yeah, that's it. Um, you can find this recipe in the file section of our Facebook group page, as always, where you can download it in a handy PDF format. And um, if you enjoyed this episode, please do give us a thumbs up um, or some stars or drop a few lines of encouragement into the review section of whichever platform you use to listen to us and um, also if you have any cool ideas for a new name for Carl's sourdough starter then drop us an email at thesweetspod at gmail.com with the subject line Carl's starter or PM us on social media at the time when that episode was released I kind of completely forgot about that so yeah if you have any cool names for a sourdough starter hit us up Other than that, have um, a lovely couple of weeks. Um, be kind to one another. Uh, be kind to yourselves. And switch off every now and then. Um, because it is necessary to stay healthy. Until next time. As every week, your host is myself, Susanna from The Sweet Spot. Music by Mark J. Adair and artwork by Gemma O'Hagan. Thank you for listening. Thank you.